Rob, you know, I was saying the other day that Amazon has been completely killing it. I mean, they've really been doing a great job with their original yep. stuff. Uh, both their movies that they put out as original movies. And, I mean, not everyone is a masterpiece, but also their shows. Of course, we've had things like The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, one of the best shows on TV. The Boys has been fantastic. And Invincible has been great. And Rob, one of the great things about Invincible is that what makes it great isn't the, oh, wow, look at all the blood coming out of his head. Because any five-year-old can draw a picture of, I'm going to make Karate Chop Man cut that guy's head off. Anybody can do that. But the show's great because they give us really interesting characters with multiple dimensions to them. A great kind of what the hell is going on situation with Omni-Man and the things with, you know, uh, the Guardians of the Globe. and all. Just it's great storytelling, great characters, all wrapped in a fun action, kind of gritty and gory uh, ball of wax, if you will. And we are getting close to the final episode of season one. Of course, uh, tomorrow drops the final episode of this season the last episode dropped off ended on an incredible moment it was awesome well now just before the final episode of the season comes out it has now been made official amazon has officially renewed invincible not just for one more season but they've renewed it for two more seasons officially we're going to get a lot more of invincible now this comes us from the folks over at uh, cbr uh, who were quoting the Invincible, you know, official Twitter put out, can't wait for more, smash the title card, Invincible. Uh, I'm extremely thankful to Amazon for the support and dedication they've put behind Invincible, said Invincible co-creator Robert Kirkman. The comic book is truly a love letter to a genre that Corey Walker and I grew up reading and loving, and it's been a gratifying journey to watch our characters come to life again through the animated series. We're beyond excited to continue this story for at least two more seasons. And that comes to us on uh, the heels of Amazon renewing for two more seasons, not just one, two more seasons of Invincible. Rob, again, like I said kind of at the outset, the main reason I find this exciting and why I love tuning into Invincible is not what most people talk about. Look how gory it is. Oh, he pulled out his right. intestines. I mean, any five-year-old can do that. I mean, that's it's can you do that sort of fun stuff while in a really engaging, good story with characters we get made to care about and get invested in. Can you yep. get us emotionally? Like, I, I kind of like it in under WandaVision a little bit. Like, because two or three episodes in WandaVision, I'm like, I am completely enraptured with what the hell is going on here. I've had the <laughs> same feelings with Invincible on this. So to me, this is fantastic news. Exactly what I needed to kind of temper the sadness I feel that we've only got one episode left. <laughs> of it until however whenever the second season comes out anyway rob you hear about invincible getting renewed for seasons two and three how do you feel about it well what you know i'm i'm always excited when something that is of quality uh gets renewed and that obviously like i've always loved that comic i've got um the image the absolute versions the oversized hardcover of invincible i've liked it for a long time and to see to see the diversity of superhero stories that are getting adapted in different forms. We have Invincible on Amazon, Jupiter's Legacy is about to drop on Netflix. You know, these are independent creators from, uh, well, not anymore now that Robert Kirkman and Mark Miller have all these giant deals, but this is a good show, John. Uh, it's a good show. It's got a great voice cast. It's really well done. And I think more than anything, it's a beautiful adaptation of the source material. And that's what we want. You know, 
what do we want from our entertainment? We want our entertainment to be great, well-written, most of all, entertaining and, you know, adding something to our lives. And even when you have an animated superhero show like this, albeit a very adult animated superhero show, I think it's only a good thing. And the fact that it's it was recognized as being successful and the fact that it's now going to be, I mean, getting a two-season renewal. I wish we got that for Dota. Maybe we will. Who knows? But they announced two seasons. That's a huge vote of confidence for the creative team on Amazon's part. Good for them. And you know what's what's really cool? We were just looking at that image of all the various characters. They really devote a lot of attention to every single one of the characters. Like yeah. I've, obviously, Omni Man is an insanely great character. Uh, uh, Mark is a great character. These two characters that lead the show, but Adam Eve is a wonderful character that I, I really get into. And after the last couple episodes, Robot. Robot's an incredible character. As you go to Rex, I actually really like the Rex character. The longer this show goes on, the more and more I like Rex. Uh, then, of course, the, the the head of the agency, I forget his name, but it's voiced by Walton Goggins. Uh, right. The head of the agency is incredible. Again, it's everything from the dialogue, the characters, the story, the overarching story, the little mini stories they tell along the way. It's just a really fun you know, a bit of television that I'm enjoying. And I am super thrilled that they've announced that they're renewing it for seasons two and three. Question is for you guys. What do you think about Invincible? Maybe you haven't even had a chance to check it out yet, or maybe you have, and it's just not for you. You don't even like it, so you don't care about seasons two and three. Whatever it is you guys are thinking, jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's do another off the top here, shall we? And that's this. You know, Rob, this is a little thing, but it's kind of funny when you think about it. You know, one of the standard things that goes along with comic book movies is quite often, you know, the uniforms and the suits that they'll wear. Uh, quite often, sure. they'll put a little bit of extra padding because these superheroes are supposed to be larger than life, right? They're larger than life. They have all this mystique behind them. And so, you know, when you get them in their costumes, you know, you pat them up a little bit. Uh, Zach, uh, I was going to say Zach Efron, uh, Zach Levi in Shazam, one such right. example. Well, not surprisingly, but you know, one superhero that ain't going to have any padding in their suit. Let me guess, John, you say it. <laughs> Dwayne, the rock Johnson. It's, it's actually been come out now that it, it's official. Dwayne Johnson ain't going to have any body padding in his black Adam suit. Now, apparently he was his, uh, his personal trainer, was being interviewed. And his personal trainer is Dave uh, Renzi. And he said the following. He said, it's a fun process when you have someone like The Rock who is so driven, disciplined, and determined to do the work. There's a continuously evolving vision. And we are always working to that. We are always working towards. We've been building up to the Black Adam movie for a while with this goal of creating a real-life superhero physique with no padded superhero suit necessary. And Rob, one of the things that he says in there that I find really interesting, talk about Dwayne The Rock Johnson's, like his uh, his determination, his discipline, and all that kind of stuff. I might have told this story before, but I was in Vegas, because, uh, you know, Ann and I will go to Vegas like six, seven times a year, COVID notwithstanding. And I got contacted saying, hey, Dwayne's in Vegas. He's doing some interviews for an upcoming movie. Would you be interested in heading over to his hotel to, to do an interview? I'm like, of course I would. And they're like, okay, like be there around 8 a.m. I'm like, great. So I get to the hotel and I'm down in the lobby waiting for his PR person to, to get in touch with me. 
and in through the main doors of the hotel into the lobby comes Dwayne The Rock Johnson in total workout gear, like sweating profusely, <laughs> muscles like this big bulging. A dude had been in the gym since 5.30 in the morning to get in what he referred to as a quick workout or a quick sweat uh, before, you know, doing some interviews that day. Like that, that's just his discipline. The guy, see, say what you will about Dwayne, the rock Johnson and how good of an actor you think he's become. I actually think he's become a very serviceable leading man for Hollywood, but whatever you think of his acting, I always respect work ethic. And this is a dude who never takes a day off. He just, you know, he knows what his strengths are and he'll put work and effort into it. And it pays off when you look at this guy on screen and now we're going to get a black Adam without any padding. And Rob, I can only assume that's just going to kind of add to the, as you would often say, the verisimilitude of looking at this truly Greek God kind of superhero physique on screen without any assistance necessary. So I suppose we shouldn't be surprised to hear this, but it's pretty cool to hear them actually saying you're doing it without any padding at all. Anyway, Rob, you hear about this. What's your first reaction to it? Well, I mean, you know, I think all of us, whether it's on Instagram or on social media are familiar with how Dwayne, the rock Johnson looks when he works out, (laughs) you know, (laughs) you can't not. And by the way, I find it inspiring because like you said, his work ethic is beyond, uh, beyond, reproach the guy just is a machine i mean look at this picture you have up right now look at that this guy. is when they made the announcement at dc fandom uh, when they made all the announcements and presentation about black adam and he was just standing there in a long sleeve shirt but but you know what's really interesting to me i don't i mean maybe it's vanity but i think Dwayne understands that this is a business he's running and his business is himself and and i think that the work ethic that he shows, he gets his body in this kind of condition because that's what he's selling. That's his product. That's what we want from him. And, you know, I'll never forget when I first saw him in Fast and the Furious, I'm like, ah, I don't know how this is going to be. I love his character, despite the fact that he constantly had water pouring from his veins on his face. I'm like, <laughs> this makes him even better. This makes him even better. And I just, I love the guy's work ethic. He's always got a big smile on his face. He gives so much back to his fans. I mean, this is a, this is a consummate entertainer. This is a man who devotes himself to his audience. And he deserves, in my mind, uh, everything that he gets. He's a family man. He's a father. And he gives us 100%. How, how, how many people can say that in their lives, that they give 100% to their job? And sure, you can be cynical and say, well, you see, he certainly gets paid enough. But I'm like, yes, because he's put in the time and the work and decades to get to the where, where he is now. So good on Dwayne Johnson. He's all I'm thinking about, John, is hot toy figure. Oh yeah. <laughs> Black Adam. They're going to have to make, they're going to have to make, Hot Toys is going to have to make a new body simply to give us a Black Adam figure. And I can't wait. All right, guys, not a huge piece of news. I just thought it was fun to talk about. What do you guys think about this? Dwayne The Rock Johnson, this official, he's going to have like for his superhero outfit in Black Adam, no padding necessary. How do you guys feel about that? Is that like, well, obviously he doesn't need any. Or it's like, wow, like he's so big. He doesn't even need any. What do you guys think about that? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's get to another off the top, shall we? And that is this. Rob, obviously, 
you know, in the movie world, the dominant story of the last year plus has obviously been the COVID pandemic. I mean, obviously that's been the number one story around the world, but here in our little sphere where we talk about movies, it's also been dominant. And of course, one of the big things within that movie sphere is of course the impact that it's had on not only studios, but the theaters. And we've talked uh, at length about the trouble that a lot of the theaters have been. AMC was in a lot of trouble for a while. You know, Regal went into hibernation mode, which was very, very smart on their part. But one of the pieces of news that came out right near the, as we were getting towards the tail end of the, the COVID stuff was that a very popular movie theater chain, not the biggest movie theater chain, but a very popular one, Alamo Drafthouse, was forced to file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy which was certainly a telling sign of the times. I mean, on top of that, things like Pacific Theater shut down permanently, the Arc Light shut down. I'm still trying to wrap my head around that. I'm still trying to wrap my head around the Arc Light and Pacific Theaters thing. But Alamo Drafthouse had to go into bankruptcy. Well, as we talked about on the show where we said, listen, going into bankruptcy is not officially the end. That just means you're buying yourself some protections to give your chance, yourself a chance to reorganize and try to get back on your feet. And it kind of looks like that's what the Alamo Drafthouse did. Reports have gone out this morning that Alamo Drafthouse has set dates for 15 locations. They say 30 locations are going to be open here pretty soon. But they've already set uh, uh, dates for the reopening of locations in New York, L.A., and in other theaters around town. I know this is going to make Erin Cummings very happy. Her favorite theater to go to right now is the Alamo Drafthouse in Los Angeles. And yeah. I've been there. I've been to that one. It's it's really, really good. This comes to us from the folks over at The Wrap. Right. Alamo Drafthouse has announced its reopening dates for 15 theaters locations across the country, including its locations in Brooklyn, New York, and Los Angeles. The Alamo Drafthouse in Brooklyn will open on May 7th, so only a little over a week away. And the Los Angeles location downtown will open on May 28th, so about a month away. And the remaining spots will all reopen throughout the end of July. By the end of the summer, Alamo's circuit footprint will be doubled compared to the theater's current open locations with over 30 spots across the country, including the Dallas, Omaha, San Francisco, uh, Lubbock, I guess that's in Texas, Lubbock, Texas, uh, Laredo, and Yonker areas are in the lineup. And of course, that makes sense because Alamo Drafthouse is based out of Texas. So there's all that. Rob, we've recently been talking a lot about Finally, after a year, we've been able to talk in the last month or two about some positive signs. You know, uh, AMC being able to reopen, New York allowing theaters to reopen, Los Angeles being able to reopen, Godzilla versus Kong doing bonkers at the box office, Mortal Kombat having a good opening in weekend. Uh, there was a recent report on uh, CBS News about the fact that so far the industry tasked with charting it. No coronavirus out cases have been linked back to any of the movie theaters being open so far. That's very positive. Yep. Hearing about an Alamo draft house now being able to go into bankruptcy, navigate it properly, and now possibly looking like coming out the other side is another great sign for things. Again, it's not a victory, but it's a great sign for things. Rob, you hear about this. How does this little piece of the puzzle contribute to the overall recovery of the movie theaters? And is this reflective? And, and how do you feel about uh, Alamo Drafthouse being able to reopen now? Well, I, look, I think it's great. I mean, Alamo Drafthouse has been expanding. It took a while to get one here in L.A., but we have one in downtown L.A. And, and uh, you know, I'd been hearing about the Alamo Drafthouse for years in Austin, all the way back to when, like, Ain't It Cool News began yeah. movie punditry on the Internet. And I... I uh, I think it's great. And I think, look, you know what? We might have been a little sometimes 
full of doom and gloom. But the fact is, even if you go back and you read about the Spanish influenza that ravaged the world in 1918, the world came out of it, you know, and we are going to come out of this coronavirus epidemic. I mean, all my ho hopes and prayers go out to India because they're suffering. They are having a really more, rough time right now. In really, India. really rough time, as, as we know. And, and even from a business perspective, as you, you heard about, I mean, uh, I think this is a great, a great thing. And uh, it, it, it shows over the last four months, I mean, vaccinations were stepped up. Citizens were taking care. Uh, the, the movie theaters were doing what they needed to do to bring back, I mean, essentially a business that had died. Movie theaters had died, John. They were, they, they were, on, the, they were on the operating table and they were resuscitated. There's a heartbeat now. And that heartbeat's getting stronger. And I think for us in this space, Movies are one of the things that make give us happiness. So everybody watching this channel right now, and to know that movie theaters are coming back, and and Alamo Drafthouse, their entire reason uh, for being is to provide an uh, an amazing experience at the movies, the same way that AMC and their Dolby Cinemas are, and they put a lot of money toward making sure that that experience was was happening for people, and then it was all curtailed, shut down. The fact that they're coming back, great thing for everybody. Yeah, and, and again, we know there's a there's a lot of uh, people who watch the show that come to us from from India and stuff like that. And again, our, our our big thoughts and concerns to you guys. I hope you guys are able to navigate that and get out of that uh, stretch that you guys are in there right now because it's horrible stuff that's going on there uh, at the moment. But Rob, you were kind of mentioning the whole idea about looking at the the grander recovery and and all these sorts of things. Now, Alamo Draft Draft House is not one of the major players. Like it's not no. Regal or anything like that, but it is within movie fan circles. It is a very much a celebrated name. Obviously it's, it's like yes. a lot of people South by Southwest is a big major annual conference. Those are the movie theaters people go to when they go to South by Southwest, they, they have been doing the expansion. So even if just symbolically, I think it's a really good thing uh, for a lot of people. And here's hoping the recovery is able to continue. Anyway, guys, the question is for you. What do you think about this? It looks like Alamo Drafthouse, their bid going into Chapter 11 has worked. They're getting ready to come out. How do you guys feel about it? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. Let's do one more off the top. I told you there was a lot of stuff to talk about here today. And this is not a big major one, but it's interesting number nonetheless, and that is this. You know, Rob, Mandalorian... Uh, amongst many reasons that a lot of us talked about Mandalorian and buzzed about Mandalorian and was excited about Mandalorian, people who have been involved in production, one of the big reasons a lot of us were excited about Mandalorian was the implementation of the stagecraft technology. And when we started to act like we heard about it, it's like, that sounds awesome. And then when we actually got to see the stage where they would go in and shoot with these 360 surrounding screens that would move with the cameras and how they shot that damn show. It was incredible. And of course we knew that Disney was going to leverage that and start using it for a lot of the other stuff as well, because the, the impact was fantastic and the end result was nearly flawless, Rob. I mean, the, the end result the final product that we got out of Mandalorian when they shot in this thing was oh. nearly, nearly flawless. Now, it didn't take long. Disney is utilizing that again on the new Marvel movie, Thor, Love and Thunder. As a matter of fact, Taika Waititi uh, just put out, who I love Taika Waititi, he just put out this great image of himself with his daughters. Uh, of course, you can see they're on the stagecraft uh, floor. 
they're there. And I love the caption. He's with his dog. By the way, how cute is his kid? That and is he one put, cute photo. He has, he puts up this fantastic. I love parents. I, I know some people don't like this. I love parents who are savage on their kids. <laughs> I love parents, <laughs> especially on social media. He writes this. He writes, sweet photos of me tenderly criticizing my five-year-old's performance and telling her where she went wrong in the last take. I love that. It's it's fantastic. Anyway, so it shows us uh, him being in there. Rob, you know, we all knew once we started hearing about the Mandalorian, the technology they were leveraging for Mandalorian, and we saw the results, we all started to let our imaginations run wild about how other properties might be able to take advantage of that. Obviously, the MCU was probably going to be the next thing that Disney was going to leverage it for. So seeing Taika Waititi now in there using this as well, like where does your head go? Where do you think this sort of technology can ultimately do? Where's it going to lead? Now, obviously, they've already been, it's not like they're filming all of Thor in this place. They've been shooting for months on location in Australia, and they've been doing, but they're going to mix in some of this as well. Where do you see this all going and how significant is it that Taika Waititi is using it? Well, I think, look, you know, I was reading yesterday on online Twitter, people were complaining because <laughs> Kevin Feige had mentioned that one of the things that Chloe Zhao had said when they were making Eternals is that she wanted to go on location, you know, and shoot because it took, takes place over thousands of years and shoot oceans and shoot big vistas like she did Nomadland. And he was really excited about that. And then people were complaining that, well, then why do you shoot all your movies against green screen and all that? Well, here's what people don't understand. To go on location is very, very, very expensive. And like, I would appreciate it. We all, we all want to go to Vormir and really shoot the Red Skull and uh, throw off Scarlett Johansson off a real cliff to get the real soul, soul stone. I know that that might be something we all want to see. But unfortunately, you can't go to Vormir because one, it doesn't exist. So you can't fly there and shoot on location. But two, movies using this kind of technology makes them cheaper to make, easier to make. It solves many production problems, and it allows for our filmmakers to be able to tell stories in a bigger, grander fashion. It's all make-believe. It's all make-believe. So if you're using stagecraft technology, which can cut down on the costs and allow actors to be able to, unlike being in a sea of green screen where it's difficult to respond, even, even Ewan McGregor is talking about how the difference between shooting the Star Wars prequels and working on the Obi-Wan series with stagecraft technology helps him as an actor because you're no longer against green screen, you're against a real environment. And it helps actors feel and emote and understand, and it, it, it makes their performances better. So what's... I think it's fantastic because if nothing else, the actors are going to feel more at home and they're probably going to be able to give you even more of what we want from them. So I think it's tremendous. It's it's just yet another tool that makes our suspension of disbelief easier. Yeah. And it's, again, it's incredible. I love that shot of the volume, by the way, when you take a look at that there, like that's just, I mean, look, I mean can you imagine John, you can have an effects team. Let's whatever environment you want to go on. Let's say you're an actor and you're supposed to be looking out at some vista and you're in that environment and the effects team has already created the vista that you're supposed to be looking at. Now, when you get to walk out on that and the camera's on you or whatever and it's supposed to show your face responding, uh, isn't that going to be easier for an actor? Wouldn't you rather see them look at that than 
an empty green screen and supposed to be emoting. Yeah, it's I mean, just it's just incredible what they're able to do. The incredible, question is for you, dude. the question is for you guys. What do you think about this? We're now starting to see Marvel get in there and using the volume, the stagecraft technology as well. What kind of an impact do you think it's going to have on Thor 4? I just cannot wait for Thor 4. I'm absolutely good about it. Guys, what do you guys think? Jump on down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With all the off-the-tops out of the way, let's now get into our main topics of the day. And how do we select our main topics here in the John Campia Show? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with them. Whenever you come across a big topic, story, or issue that you think we should make a main topic here on the John Campia Show, simply go anytime, 24-7, over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia Show. With that down, let's get into main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Peach. And Peach writes, Hey, John, Kevin Feige had an interview with Variety, which we'll be referencing for a couple of stories here today, actually. And he said some interesting stuff. We learned that Chloe Zhao was originally considered for Black Widow, but that didn't happen. Kevin also said that Gemma Chan, the amazing Gemma Chan, uh, Gemma Chan Cersei is the lead of Eternals. I thought it was Richard Madden, but Feige just said it's Gemma Chan. They may be both leads. I love this news because I love Gemma Chan. Who doesn't? Uh, the woman is gorgeous also. Anyway, what do you think about this? All right, thanks a lot for saying that in, man. And of course, one of the movies we've been talking a lot about recently, anxiously, excitedly about is Eternals. It's a movie that, and a story oh. and a group of characters, a lot of people don't know anything about, Rob. Like, just don't know anything about whatsoever. It's got a little bit of a Guardians of the Galaxy flavor that way because nobody knew what that was either going yep. into it. And of course, you got Angelina Jolie in there. You got uh, Madison. You got uh, Camille Nagiani. You got Gemma Chan. It's a huge ensemble movie. Now, I think myself, Rob, and probably a lot of other people, would just assume that the lead of it is going to be uh, Angelina Jolie, Academy multi Academy Award winner Angelina Jolie. Uh, of course, at all the big events they've done too, whenever they brought out the cast, who's the last one they bring out every single time? Angelina Jolie. But we kept yeah. hearing it truly is an ensemble cast. Well, maybe it does have a lead. This comes to us from the folks over at uh, Variety who wrote about, with an interview with Kevin Feige, who says, it came down to casting. So for Cersei, for instance, and if there was a lead in this ensemble, it is Cersei. It's Gemma Chan. We looked at and read all sorts of women for that part and ended up really believing that Gemma was best for it. And thankfully, she's proven that to be the case in the final movie. So there you have it. He's saying, look, we looked at all sorts of people, but it really, if there is, now this is the key part of a statement there, Rob. He says, if there is a lead, it's Cersei. If there is a lead, it's Cersei. So that really does still sound to me a lot like this will very much be an ensemble, but probably a good part of the story is revolving. And Rob, you also got to think that Gemma Chan may have started a little bit behind because she's already in an MCU movie. She was in Captain Marvel. 
Yeah. As a completely different character in heavy makeup, nonetheless. But I mean, so it's not too hard, but you got to think that probably worked against her at first, but apparently to Feige, it was just, look, she is the best person for this role. She's, it doesn't matter that we've had her in something else. People won't really recognize her from that anyway, because of the makeup and she's going to be in it. And Rob understanding too, that this is, if not the most prominent role in the movie, Kevin Feige seems to suggest it's at least one of the most prominent roles. That says even more about her getting cast in the role. Anyway, Rob, I know you, more than anybody else I know, have been extremely excited about Eternals. Yes. How do you take these words from Kevin Feige and his referencing Gemma Chan? Like, how do you take all this? Well, like you said, I mean, <laughs> you know, if you think about all the great things on the planet Earth, Gemma Chan's probably really high up on that list. So to me, I'm like, great. <laughs> you know? uh, and, and because I'm looking again, I, I, I sometimes I don't mean to be flippant, but I'm like, you know what? I think I'm going to have a whole shelf of Hot Toys figures of all of the Eternals led by Gemma Chan, which is all good. But I, I look, I love the idea of the Eternals. And I think the idea that doing a basically a family saga over thousands of years is going to be very, very interesting. And I love this cast. I love the, you know, here's a cast where diversity is part of the story. And I I, I love the the actors they've put together. I, I really, we've, John, we've seen nothing about this movie. I mean, they've released like some artwork, but no trailer. We, no one has any sense of what this movie is at all. And I think that they've been doing that on purpose because now they have an Academy Award winning director. I... I'm hoping that this is going to be one of the most special of Marvel films because like with Guardians like you pointed out earlier no one knows what this pro property is it's a it's a Jack Kirby property you know he created it and they've 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 kept it going throughout the the years at Marvel but it's not even well known within Marvel comics fan circles and I think the fact that they have a really eclectic interesting cast is I hope going to make this movie something that we're not used to seeing. That's going to be something really new and exciting. And knowing that Jenna Ch Gemma Chan leads this ensemble, oh yeah, <laughs> it's 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 shaping up to be good. And of course, we're going to talk a little bit more about Eternals in just a couple of minutes. But anyway, guys, for now, what do you think about this? I mean, I'm probably sure there's a lot of you guys that thought that if there was any lead in it, it was clearly going to be Angelina Jolie because. Angelina Jolie, but uh, it still sounds like it's mostly an ensemble. Gemma's role is going to be very prominent, obviously. How do you guys feel about this? Jump on down to the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move into main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Walter Greggs, who writes... I'm currently spending over $100 per month on streaming services. You're preaching to the choir, brother. You're preaching to the choir. Uh, and I'm looking to cut back on that monthly expense. So I thought it was really interesting when I saw that HBO Max was going to start offering the service for $10 per month if you're willing to be served ads. I personally don't hate commercials, but I'm sure I'd rather not have them. What do you guys think? Would a few commercials be worth saving $5 per month? That's $60 for the year. What do you guys think? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, listen, over the past year or so, one of the big topics of conversation amongst film and entertainment fans has been the 
advent of the streaming wars, but more importantly, what these streaming wars are costing us and how much we pay. And because now you're at the point that if you have not even all the streaming services, if you just get the main ones, you're now paying more than what we used to pay for cable. And the whole idea about the streaming era was to free us from that yoke of bondage of high, high costs. Well, guess what? Now we're paying more. And depending on how many of the streaming services you get, you could be paying significantly more. Now, of course, yep. you can make the argument we're getting much better stuff, of course, but the cost is there. Now, one of those services is, of course, HBO Max, an absolutely fantastic streaming services, one of the absolute necessary ones, I think. You know, if anybody asks me, John, like, what are the four or five out of the 20 or 30 out there that I have to have? I will always say HBO Max has to be one of those. Now, of course, HBO Max goes for $15 a pop, but as Peacock introduced different tiers, Peacock has, hey, a totally, you know, they've got a tier where you get some ads, you got tiers where you get no ads. HBO Max looks like they are jumping on that as well, as they are going to offer a slightly less expensive tier if you're willing to watch some commercials. This comes to us from the folks over at Engadget who write the following. Warner Media CEO Jason Kalar, he's been in the news a lot lately. The main difference between the two tiers, this is interesting, Rob. Listen to this. The main difference between the two tiers will be with the theatrical premieres. Paying for the more expensive package will get you access to the day-and-date premieres of Warner Brother movies with the studio de debuting all their films on HBO Max in 2021. That's a big deal. So basically, if you don't have the more expensive one, like let's say you take the $10 deal, you don't get Dune. And you don't get you know, whatever other movies are going to be debuting in 2021 HBO Max, you don't get that. Only the people paying the higher price get that. At any rate, premieres of Warner Brothers movies with the studio debuting all of its films on HBO Max in 2021. That's a big deal. HBO shows also won't carry ads, whether you're on the less expensive tier or not. Okay, so that's also relevant. If you're getting the $10 tier, you won't get ads on HBO original shows. That's very interesting. Beyond that, everything else will be the same, according to Kalar's past statement. So this is kind of interesting. Th this is interesting. So they're going to offer another tier. If you're willing to watch a couple of commercials, instead of paying $15 a month, you pay $10. That's $60 bucks for the year for, for the cost of watching a couple commercials. A couple caveats. If you're take, paying the less, you don't get access to the movies like other people do. But... Watching HBO original shows, you still don't get commercials. So I, I don't know, that kind of balances out. Rob, the question really then becomes, I think all of us would agree that if we have the choice and everything else is equal between watching a show or movie with commercials or watching a show or movie without commercials, everything being equal, obviously we all say without commercials. The question becomes then, how much is it worth to not have commercials? I know some people like uh, Walter here writing in saying like, I don't hate commercials. I mean, I'd rather not have them, but I don't hate them. That's fine. If they pop in, some people like the commercial breaks. It gives them their automatic built-in chance to run to the bathroom or do whatever they want to do. I know some people who would pay a King's ransom to take away their commercials. Just I'll give you a thousand bucks, take away the commercials. So I guess it really comes down to how much is it worth to you to not have any commercials? And I got to say, whereas I don't hate the idea of commercials either, I would rather not have them, but five, only saving $5, I, 
I, I mean, to me, five bucks, five bucks, that's all? You're, you're only going to give me a discount of $5 and buy, while throwing in commercials? Okay, I might as well just keep the more expensive tier, which very well, Rob, could be their strategy. Saying, sure. hey, look, we're offering you a cheaper tier, even though we know very well for five for saving five bucks, you're not going to go with the cheaper tier. I, I mean, I don't know. Rob, I get, but then I don't know, maybe would seven bucks be more enticing? Would $6 a month, you know, for HBO with ads be more enticing? How much money would HBO actually make off those? I, I don't know. But just from a fan's perspective, Rob, what would it be? How much would you need to save in order to have a modest number of commercials thrown into the programming be worth it to you? How much do they have to save you in order for you to accept getting commercials? Oh, <laughs> look. I hate commercials. And and let's say you're paying 50 bucks a month for HBO Max. You know, if if you if you want to get it's to me I, I don't care. I hate commercials. I think what I've gotten used to is even it doesn't matter what I'm watching uh the whole point of of great entertainment, movies, shows, whatever is I've discovered that that watching like if I had to watch Game of Thrones, I've been watching Game of Thrones with Elizabeth, uh, rewatching it. We're in the middle. We just started the fourth season. If I had to see commercials in an episode of Game of Thrones, John, I'd slit my throat or I'd scoop out my eyeballs with a teaspoon. I would because I'm like I can't. You're getting into something. You're feeling the narrative flow. You're enjoying the filmmaking, the the story, the editorial work, the music, and then you cut to a, a commercial about Cialis. I'm like no. So to me, I don't care. I will pay, and assuming there's shows on the streaming service I want to watch. And I think that that now, God, to answer your question, all I, I, there's no amount of money that you could get me to save that would make me watch something with commercials. Wow, None. really? None. See, that's an extreme. See, to me, I I think. I think there is a, a, a line there for me. Like if I could get a service for 20 bucks a month, but I could pay $7 a month with two ad breaks during an episode. I can nope. live with that. What about movies? <sighs> like in the middle of a movie, do you want to watch Godzilla versus Kong? And then suddenly like, you know, hello, here's the new Pathfinder from whatever car company. And you have to watch in the middle of King Kong. Well, you also got to keep in mind that I spent most of my life watching a lot of movies on TV that exact same way. I mean, I, I mean, but we did, right? I mean, we spent many of our years watching movies on TV. That Dude, home video. Breaks. When home video, the advent of home video, I couldn't stand. I can't stand That's it. That's true. I can't stand it. Hey, I, 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 as soon I as agree. I got a VCR, man. I just think there is a, like, if you're going to save me $200 a year, for but then again, it, it depends on how many commercial breaks there are. So, like, if you're taking say taking two commercial breaks, save me two hundred bucks a year, I could probably live with that. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I just don't think richer. five dollars is. I don't think five dollars is like saving no. people five dollars. Well, it depends how much the streaming service costs. You know, like for people, I mean, if you think about it, let's say you've got five or six streaming services, and each one of them will give you five bucks off if you don't want to see commercials. Well, you know, $25 or $30 savings a month is a big deal in a lot of households. That's 300 bucks a year. That's 300 bucks a year. That's not chump change. You know, that's that's a that's a hot toy and a few drinks. 
So I'm like, okay, you know that, but still I, I, I think, look, part of the streaming wars is going to be as more and more people enter that realm, how much money are people once the, once the monthly fee goes above what people were paying for their cable, then people are going to, it's going to start to change. And I think that streaming services don't necessarily realize this Netflix, HBO max, um, uh, what else? Amazon to me and now Apple Plus because I love For All Mankind. Those are like essentials to me. And I really love Shudder. But how many more am I going to subscribe to? I mean, yeah. well, I don't want to get my my streaming bill above $100 a month. Minority The whole is. point is to not. <laughs> minority is. But let me ask you that. Do you think this will be effective? Like, do you think, because look, obviously HBO Max's has not had the kind of rollout that they were hoping for. Obviously rolling out, not being on Roku or Amazon Fire Stick at first, that hurt them, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Do you think introducing a tier like this, even though it's only five bucks, do you think this might work? Do you think this could entice some people who have been holding off on getting HBO Max to get it? No. Yeah, I'm not sure I don't. I'm not sure Because I don't, when it comes to HBO... People don't ever think. Well, the, isn't the whole point of HBO is there's not commercials? <laughs> you know that. When has there ever been commercials on? Like, can you imagine if you're 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 now working at HBO and what are you going to do? Go insert commercials into every single episode of every, whether it's Sex and the City, whether it's Game of Thrones, whether it's Sopranos. Who's going to be the who? What poor schlub is going to have the thankless task of putting commercials into an episode of The Sopranos? <laughs> or The Wire, or Oz, oh. or Entourage. You know, Schillinger's about to get down, and oh, nope, let's cut to some happy-go-lucky, whatever. I can't even imagine what that's going to be like. All right, guys, the question for you is this. What do you think about this move by HBO uh, Max? Maybe you're somebody who hasn't got HBO yet. With them dropping the price to 10 bucks, if you're willing to put up some ad, put up with some ads, would that be enough to entice you? Also, though, you got to understand that when the new movies roll out for the rest of 2021, you don't get access to those movies. That's a big thing. That's that's got to be a big thing. But I don't know. How do you guys feel about that? Jump on down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Zemo's Alfred. <laughs> this is my favorite character in Falcon the Winter Soldier, Rob. Zemo's Alfred. Uh, Zemo's Alfred writes, Hey, John, I know you and Rob have talked about all the whispers that Disney thinks the upcoming Marvel movie Eternals might be the best film Marvel has ever done. Wondering if you saw that quote going around from Kevin Feige where he half-jokingly predicted that a report to a reporter that Eternals was going to win Best Picture at the Oscars next year. What are your thoughts? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, listen, for about for a number of months now, there have been a bunch of people online, but I can attribute this, I can also contest to this myself. There have been a bunch of people online talking about there are whispers coming out of Disney that they are absolutely floored by Eternals. Like, yep. just floored with what they got out of it. I myself have told you on this show, I know somebody closely connected to the situation that says they believe it is the best movie Marvel has ever made. Now, 
remember, that's just the opinion of one person. Just because this person thinks it's the best movie they ever made, that doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to think that or that you're going to think that. But still, you compound that, Rob, with all the positive praise and adulation we've been hearing in the press about it. All these whispers we're hearing that, that people saying that they've got contacts saying that like the Marvel execs are just floored with what they got from Eternals. Uh, doofus like me telling you, I happen to know somebody with inside the situation who thinks it's the best movie Marvel's ever done, which again, I don't know if I'm going to think that once I see it, but it's what they think. Then on hot on the heels of that, Rob, we've got Kevin Feige. Hi, Lord Guru of all things Marvel. And he said something kind of funny. There was a reporter asking him, you know, kind of speculating about the future of different things coming from Marvel. And Kevin Feige said the following. He said, I'm excited to answer your questions about the future. I'd also like to give you a few quotes about when Eternals wins best picture and when Avengers 5 is the biggest movie of all time. So let's bank those quotes as well. Again, let's read this again. I'm excited to answer your questions about the future. I'd also like to give you a few quotes about when Eternals wins Best Picture and when Avengers 5 is the biggest movie of all time. So let's bank those quotes as well. That comes to us from Kevin Feige. And by the way, Rampage uh, Predacon sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Rampage. Um, All right. Couple things to note here. Is he joking when he talks about this? Obviously, there's a bit of jest in here. But there's some seriousness under the jest. Rob, are there a lot of people who doubt? Like, is there a, like, is it just ridiculous to think Avengers 5, whenever that comes, won't become the biggest box office movie of all time? Is there anybody seriously putting money betting against that? Obviously, that's a that's a very strong possibility that whenever they get around to doing Avengers 5, when Robert Downey Jr. and uh, Chris Evans are both back... Uh, I'm not, but I'm just saying, is there, is there anybody willing to put up serious money that it won't become the biggest movie of all time? And by the way, Marie Seifring also sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Marie. So there's that. Also, you know, Kevin Feige could have pulled any of the movies they're working on out of his hat. He didn't say, ask me when Black Widow wins best picture at the Academy Awards. He didn't say, ask me when Shang-Chi wins Best Picture at the Academy Awards next year. He didn't say, ask me when Spider-Man No Way Home wins the Academy Award at next year's Oscars. He specifically said, ask me when Eternals wins Best Picture at the Academy Awards next year. Compounded on that, Rob, we now know something that we didn't know before. That this is a film that is being guided, steered, run by, and told by the reigning defending undisputed heavyweight director champion of the year right now. We, we've got Chloe Zhao, who just won Best Director at the Academy Awards, who just won Best Picture at the Academy Awards, you know, who is the hottest name in Hollywood at this particular moment. She's directing this thing. Rob, when you put all of that together and you understand that last year, a comic book movie won one of the top prizes of the Academy Awards with Joaquin, uh, Joaquin Phoenix winning Best uh, Actor at the Academy Awards for his role in Joker. When you understand that we've had an MCU movie nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards. When you understand that one of the top prizes, uh, Best Screenplay, got nom- a comic book movie, Logan, got nominated for one of those top awards. And now we have this 
going on, that we're hearing Marvel say this is the best picture they've ever done. We're hearing you know, all this kind of stuff. We've got the reigning director of the year is directing this thing. How crazy is it to think, because you know, Rob, somebody wrote in yesterday, said, is it possible Eternals could be up there for best picture? I said, well, look, uh, every movie is possible. Every movie is possible could be nominated for coming. Peter Rabbit 2, it's possible, could be a best picture contender next year. Uh, absolutely. So we got to wait till we see it. So obviously we're all just sitting in a pure realm of speculation right now. But in that speculation, having not seen a single frame of this movie yet, which we could all change our tune once we do, but understanding all these circumstances and now Kevin Feige coming out and saying something like this, how crazy is it to think that this Eternals movie, you know, once we get 10 nominees next year, could be one of those films nominated, maybe even win a best picture next year. Obviously, Rob, understanding it's all pure speculation right now. We haven't seen a single frame. But I don't know. What are you thinking about that right now? <laughs> well, it's funny you ask me this, John, because I think about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We have seen them reworking genre tropes. Captain America the Winter Soldier harks back to a 70s conspiracy thriller. They even had Robert Redford, who was, of course, in movies like Three Days of the Condor and All the President's Men. They even cast him in that movie. Terrific. Peyton Reed comes in and does Ant-Man. It's a heist movie. You know, they've got the, the, the ensemble film, whatever you want to call it. The one genre of film that Marvel has not done is the Oscar bait movie, John. <laughs> because no one ever thought that superheroes or comic book movies could ever be Oscar bait. Ah, but Black Panther, Joker... We're moving up to these things. And we know Kevin Feige bought in to Chloe Zhao as the director because she pitched something that they that blew them away, her approach. And obviously, you know, I think she's like this stealth, we, kind of an unknown figure up until about a year ago when she got all this Oscar buzz. She's winning all these awards. Can you imagine the woman who made Nomadland and you adore the film? Love it. Coming Love in Love that movie. And pitching and pitching Eternals. Her pitch had to have been so different from every other filmmaker that's worked in the MCU because she saw a pot, what you want from a filmmaker. She came at it, I'm sure, and I, know, I have no knowledge of this, from a direction they probably hadn't considered. And Kevin Feige was like, huh, because Kevin Feige knows all. And he's <laughs> like, I'm going to go with her. Because I've already made 23 movies that have become the highest grossing. I'm already the most successful producer in Hollywood. But you know what? You know what I haven't done? I haven't made an Oscar bait movie. And with this film, I've, I've earned way more clout than I needed to bet on something new, something different, something. It's, it's not even a Marvel. I can't screw this up because no one knows the Eternals anyway. And if we go with what Chloe Zhao is, is proposing, I'm going to I'm going to bet because I know what's best. I'm going to bet on this woman who by the way, I don't even think Nomadland was done when she made this pitch. And he's like, "I see this, so it doesn't surprise me at all that they have a movie that could potentially be in the best what you're going to the only thing they'll I bet are fighting against now John this is saying I'm assuming the movie's great. I'm just assuming the movie's great. Right, which what we don't know yet. Against. We haven't seen a single we film no which making no, some assumptions I'm, I'm right talking, now. Yeah. I am completely talking out of my rear end, but I'm saying 
that that's what that they're going to say. This is the this is what they never done. They never went for the Oscar bait. The problem that they're going to face is, of course, the Academy is going to be like, what the hell? They now, for the first time, like you pointed out, they've got the conquering hero. They have the defending champ with a movie coming out with Marvel. And if it's that great, nobody can deny it might be the first movie ever in, in, in Hollywood history, fantasy, science fiction, whatever, much less comic book film, that has the pedigree, the tools, and the talent with the people behind and in front of the camera to be elevated and finally break the glass ceiling that every comic book movie has ever faced. So I'm in. Oscar all the way. There's Best another... picture, 2022, Eternals. Why not? Let's like over under it's gonna win. I'll put down 50 bucks that says it takes best picture just just because I would love to see it happen. The same way I love to see Return of the King, or I love to see Silence of the Lambs break the glass ceiling that all genre films face. Uh, Comic book movies might have their year next year, man. Well, I mean, to a degree, they have. I mean, I, again, Joaquin Phoenix winning best best actor, That's true. best picture that nominations, best screenplay. But but this could be that year. By the way, Donaldo Martinez sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Donaldo. Rob, I, I want to just touch on something that you you brushed on there just for a second. You mentioned, you know, the one thing Kevin Feige hasn't really gone out there and tried to make yet is the Oscar bait film. I want to take that one step further. Mm. Let's look at it in terms. Here's, again, one of my sports analogies. But one of the greatest basketball players of all time, Charles Barkley. Terrible. Charles Barkley never won a ring. He never won a ring. And a lot of times, you know, people look at some of these incredible, you know, uh, uh, the mailman, Carl Malone. One of the greatest right. basketball players, never won a ring. John Stockton, obviously you played with him, never won a ring. You know, all that kind of stuff. R Rob, Kevin Feige will often talk about, he is now a first ballot Hall of Famer filmmaker. Th that's it. That's already in concrete. He has, he has orchestrated the most powerful box office machine in history with the MCU. Uh, they've broken all sorts of records. He's done this and that. The other thing, there's one thing he has not done. And remember, Rob, one of the, whenever it comes up about how long will Kevin Feige stay, you know, I say one of the reasons I don't know how long he'll stay at Marvel is because a guy like Kevin Feige always needs new challenges, new challenges. What's the one thing he doesn't have? And you know what? I'm going to tell you right now, as somebody who is a filmmaker, as somebody who has worked in this industry as long as he has, he may say to a press event, if they ask him, you know, how badly do you want an Oscar? Kevin, oh, he'll play the PR game. He'll say, oh, of course it would be great, but you know that's not the focus of my work. Bullshit! Bullshit! Deep down, Kevin Feige, as a guy growing up watching the movies and watching the Oscars. Everybody does. He's talked Everybody about that. Does. He's talked about that, that he grew up every year. He'd sit in front of that TV watching the Oscars. He, you know he wants that Oscar. He wants that Oscar bat. Every filmmaker does. All of us do. Everybody does. And you know, and that's the one thing, the one thing he doesn't have yet. And I think you're right, Rob. I think you're absolutely right that he's probably turning some of his eye now on some of the projects that they're greenlighting as, does this give me a shot to get that Oscar? Because well, he's done well, everything hey, else. There's nothing else he has left to accomplish. Like, what else is there for him to do? But, but I would say this. I don't necessarily think that Kevin Feige is motivated by 
the thought of Oscar Gold. What he wants to do is create entertainment that is worthy of an Oscar. Agreed. And that's what I think. I think that that's what he and look, people, what I find so interesting is in our space, imagination connoisseur space. The Marvel Cinematic Universe over 23 movies, you know, we can bitch and moan and complain about how Iron Man 2's setting up the rest of the Marvel Universe as, as opposed to being a great movie or, you know, people, Brie Larson, I'm not going to watch Captain Marvel, whatever. I bought her hot toy. I just think that the 23 movies of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is one of the great triumphs of fantasy filmmaking since Hollywood began. Now, yeah, it it, it came out of Marvel Comics and all that, but Everyone acts now like this was a given, that this was something that was easy to do. Mm. They can't even make Star Wars movies that are as beloved as the Marvel Cinematic Universe or Star Trek movies or James Bond movies. There has never been a franchise in history that has had as many movies and as is as beloved as the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The triumph of this is beyond measure. And yet now everyone's getting in their cynical phase like, you know, I'm just, I don't know, John, I'm just not excited about anything of phase four. Like, I, I don't know. I'm, what? Like, like, I mean, they're trying to do something new. They, they did one thing. Now they're doing things like let's have a multiverse and bring back the Spider-Man from a different thing. I mean, they're doing so much craziness where Marvel is like, you know what? All bets are off and I'm, I'm here for it. I'm like, Wow, as somebody who grew up reading comics and watching these things since I was a little kid, to see what they're doing now, to see Thanos brought to life the way he's brought to life, I'm like, I can't believe we're living in this world. What is not to love? That every movie doesn't feel like Jesus came back and is walking across water and turning everything in your house into wine? I mean, what do you want? There's There are comic book adaptations that have changed Hollywood as we know it. And they're so much fun. And there's so much entertainment value. I think it's great. Let him make his Oscar bait movie. And all the people are going to come out and go, how, how far cinema has fallen. But hey, you've got the woman that just won Best Director and Best Film at the Academy Awards, who's already made this movie. They didn't even hire her because of this. They hired it before it. And they're already positioned good for them. Yeah. Yeah, they really are. And anyway, guys. A lot of people are going to say, and, and people are saying like, oh, well, Kevin Feige was joking when he said uh, Eternals. Oh, okay. Maybe he phrased it as a joke. No, deep down, he believes it. Deep down, he believes it. And that's and why look, he also out. knows what he's fighting. He knows yes. that there is a prejudice against the comic book film genre. I mean, when you have people like Martin Scorsese, one of my favorite directors coming out and going, this is ruining cinema or whatever. Uh, when you have people like that, you think the rest of the Academy doesn't feel that way. He's Kevin Feige is fighting an uphill battle to get comic book films recognized as legitimate cinema. And it's it's been working. It's been working. But to win Best Picture, that's the ultimate trial. Now, of course, we, we have to see Eternals and see if it's actually worthy of being a Best Picture winner. But I mean, right now, it's just fun to speculate. Question is, guys. What do you think about this? Kevin Feige coming out and kind of, uh, I, I believe, very seriously joking about, you know, Eternals winning Best Picture. I don't know. How do you guys feel about this whole thing? Jump on down into the, com into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. I told you we had a lot to talk about here today because we got one more thing. Let's now move on to main topic number four, shall we? And our fourth main topic today gets submitted to us by Mikey. And Mikey writes, 
Hey, John and Rob, if he's there, and he is here, as a matter of fact. I loved the DC Fandome event last year and was really hoping there would be one this year. Well, now it's confirmed. The event will be on October 16th, which is slightly weird to me coming off of a summer date in 2022. Are you excited? And what are some things that you are hoping they show? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, listen, DC Fandome last year, I mean, which was birthed out of necessity because of the pandemic and we weren't getting San Diego Comic-Con or New York Comic-Con or the way we were looking forward to it. They decided to do this online event, DC Fandom, and it was a really pleasant surprise. Now, granted, a lot of the big hype that came out of it was just announcements and they didn't even need to have an event to make announcements. And quite frankly, their panels kind of sucked. They were all pre-scripted, pre-written very orchestrated, yeah. produced panels. Not like the real panels you get at real conventions or whatever, but whatever. But then they had some really cool little features that they did, Rob. Like the 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 history of the the different voices of Batman around the world from different markets. Like like little things yeah, that like was that. Really cool. We got to hear from Walter Hamada talking about the grander vision of DC. It was a very well done event. Almost everybody forgot about part two of it <laughs> because the part one was done and everybody forgot about part two. But I thought it was great. To me, it doesn't replace a real in-person convention because, again, those panels, that electricity, that energy, that spontaneousness of it, all that kind of stuff was missing. But overall, it was a terrific event. Had some bugs, but for a first time doing it, I thought it went really well. And so not surprised at all that news has come out that they are indeed doing another one. This comes to us from MovieWeb who writes, the second DC fandom event will take place on Saturday, October the 16th. Mark your calendars, says DC. Mark your calendars, DC fans. Request the day off work if necessary. Do whatever you need to do to join us on October 16th, 2021, because you're not going to want to miss it, DC said in its announcement. No further details were revealed at this time. A brief teaser was released along with the announcement, set to the iconic Superman theme music. Beyond that, it remains to be seen what, the D what DC has planned for the second installment, but... With quite a few DC projects coming down the pipeline over the next few years, it could prove to be a huge day for fans. All right, that comes to us again from MovieWeb. And again, no big surprise, Rob. No surprise that, that they're doing this again. Only this time, there is a lot more. There's actually a lot more uh, that they can actually do. There's more they can do this year because now they've got a lot more things that have a firmer date and they have a lot more projects generally on the go. So what can we expect to see from that happen and be talked about at DC fandom? Probably a lot more than last year. Let's take a look at this. We'll jump on over into the Campia classroom for a moment here. First of all, they did talk about this a bit last time, but they were only about a quarter of the way through filming the movie. Now the movie's shot. The Batman coming out on March 4th, 2022. You know we're going to get a lot of stuff on Batman. Hopefully we'll have Robert Pattinson doing more, you know, taking more Q&A and stuff like that. We'll hear more from Matt Reeves talking about we'll have a brand new trailer and more footage to talk about. That's going to be exciting. So take it to the bank. They're going to be talking a lot about Batman and fandom. Yep. Black Adam. We were just talking about Black Adam. Black Adam coming out July 29th of 2022. 
The Rock is shooting this movie as we speak without any padding in his costume, apparently. There's going to be that last time they made up some animatics for us to look at. We're actually going to have footage to see. We're actually going to have clips to see. That's going to be exciting to see, too, as well. The Flash. After 18 years in development, 43 directors, and 27 different sets of writers, they are (laughs) finally actually shooting this movie. We'll see if the curse continues, but as of right now, November 4th, 2022, this movie's supposed to come out, so you know there's going to be a lot of talk about The Flash. Aquaman 2. Actually, you know, uh, both uh, Jason Momoa and Amber Heard just recently put out social media posts showing their workout routines, getting ready to start shooting Aquaman 2. That thing's coming, coming in December of 2022. You know we're going to have some stuff to talk about for that. And by the way, Russell Amador sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Russell. Um, Shazam 2, of course, The Fury of the Gods, where we've got like the great uh, Queen Elizabeth herself is going to be starring as... The, and who is the other sister? They cast the other sister. Uh, they were the two villain sisters. And I forget who... Oh, we were just talking about it. I, I know. Forget, but anyway, we got um, Helen Mirren, and I'm forgetting who the other sister was. It is, it's eluding me right now. If you guys remember the live chat, Lucy Liu, thank you, Kevin Yu. Kevin Yu put it in the live chat first. Lucy Liu. So we got Lucy Liu and Helen Mirren playing the two villain sisters. That's going to be great. You know they're going to be talking about that. Peacemaker which I believe they're shooting now with John Cena, the spinoff of Suicide Squad. That's yeah. going to be going to HBO Max. You know they're going to be talking a lot about Peacemaker. Of course, then we've got that other, the Batman kind of spinoff, Gotham PD. Uh, you know they're going to be talking about Gotham PD. Rob, no doubt, they're going to be talking about this J.J. Abrams Superman. We'll get a better idea about what that's going to be. Yep. Mm. We'll probably get some more information before this event about this new Superman movie by J.J. Abrams, but we'll probably have a a 100% clear picture about what they're going for in that movie by this thing. Already a lot to talk about, but there's more, ladies and gentlemen. Static Shock. I think they're probably going to talk. Remember, they announced a while ago Michael B. Jordan's involved uh, on a production level. So you know we're probably going to, that's probably going to be an HBO thing. They they hinted that it would probably be an HBO, a direct-to-HBO movie, but Static Shock, Blue Beetle, They've already announced that they've got that. They got their writers on board. They're moving forward with Blue Beetle. So you know there's some stuff to talk about there. Zatanna, the Academy Award winning screenwriter for A Promising Young Woman, just won the Academy Award. She's writing Zatanna. So they're moving forward with that. So they'll probably have some more stuff to talk about. Then we get into some question marks. Green Lantern Corps. For a while there, it seemed like everything was full speed ahead on Green Lantern Corps. We've been seeing it, it's been conspicuous by its absence in a lot of the talking points coming out of Warner Brothers. There's actually been some questions going around about whether this thing is even still happening. Um, I think it is, but, you know, they, it's just some questionable things. We'll see where they go. Speaking of J.J. Abrams, it was announced that he was going to kind of be spearheading a Justice League dark. But talk of that has gone dark the last little while. So I, right. I I don't know. It may still very well be happening. And if so, you know they're going to talk about it at DC Fandom in October. But right now, there's still a little bit of a question mark going on around that. Uh, Supergirl. Of course, they cast a new Supergirl. Since then, it's gone dark. 
there's been talk that she was cast simply to be in Flash or be in other movies, but there was also like direct implication that it was going to be a Supergirl movie. Again, it may still be happening. We just haven't heard any, any talk about it in a while. So the only reason I put the question marks between, between, uh, beside Green Lantern, Justice League, Dark, and Supergirl, not is that we've heard they're not happening. It's just that things have been very quiet on those fronts, but those could be some Dark Horse things to come out and get discussed once we get over to DC fandom. So, Rob, I mean, as good as DC fandom was last year, and it was a very, very good event, this has the potential to be a lot better and a lot bigger. But, again, I still say it can't just be about announcements. Announcements doesn't make a great event. They could just they could have done what Disney did. Remember what Disney did a few months ago? They just did a stream. Hey, guys, here's what we got coming. We got these 18 Star Wars movies. We got these 18 Marvel movies. We got this coming on FX, and we got blah, blah, blah. Just them to stand and make announcements. It was a great announcement, but it's not really a great fan event and, and whatever. Right. I want to see them find somewhere in the world where they can get people into an audience. I don't care if you got to go to Florida or whatever. Have real panels with like the actual people involved with the movies and things coming out. Like that's, I think that's what would take DC fandom, which was already very enjoyable. I think that's what would take it up to the next level. Uh, Because don't forget, Rob, one month, apparently one month after DC fandom is the actual live in person Comic-Con in San Diego. If it's able to actually move forward, it certainly looks like things are heading that way, but I really hope they can figure out a way to incorporate real legitimate live panels that would I just take it to that next level but Rob obviously a lot of things to talk about Rob out of that big list we were just talking about what are some of the big key things you're looking forward to them discussing at DC fandom and and what do they need to do to take the success of last year and build on that and make it even better well you know it's really interesting obviously we've had a year of people being live on zoom calls and we we know what that's like whether you're in the YouTube space or whatever. And we've seen the the difference between pre-recorded uh I don't know packages of 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 conversations and actual live conversations is very different. Even when like Josh Gad was doing his we were we assemble the cast of Lord of the Rings. That was that that those videos he did were great by the way. Th- they were great. I really liked them, but you could still tell they were edited. Yeah. You know that and I think what I I agree with you. I mean, I would really like to see I I loved hearing from Walter Hamada at the last fandom event because he's an incredibly intelligent guy. I really enjoyed hearing his philosophy and I'm like, okay, clearly this guy gets it. And I feel that that's what I want more of. I want to hear, I want to hear more of these creators philosophy behind what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. And I want more of that. Obviously I want to hear, you know, like we all do. I want to hear snippets of, what's going to happen in the movies, you know, a little bit of what we're going to, what we're going to find uh, the whole multiverse angle, whether it's the flash movie or whatever the hell else they're going to do. I, uh, I, I want to hear like from Michael Keaton and, and Ben Affleck together on a stream together, you know, or whatever they, even if it's pre-recorded, I want to hear the two of them talking to each other, even if there's a moderator. But I, I, I think what, what we really want, what people really want to hear is about what is the plan what is the dream? You know, what is it you you all want to achieve? And why should we, by knowing that you have a dream and knowing that you have a philosophy behind what you're doing, that makes us excited as fans. And that's what it's all about. We want to know that the creators that are working on these projects 
are as knowledgeable and excited about them as we, as the fans are. And, and I think that's what fandom is. And that's what it, it, it did pretty well last time, but I hope it does a lot more of that this time. Question is for you guys. What do you think about this? The fact that uh, Warner Brothers is going to do another DC fandom. Uh, there's a lot of stuff to talk about. We just looked at the list and all the things that they've got going on there. What's exciting you? What are you hoping to see? What do you think they need to do to make it better than last year? What do you guys think? Jump on down in the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys, I told you we had a hell of a lot of stuff to talk about here today. There was even some things we left off, Rob, like there's a new Wrath of Man trailer and stuff yep. like that. We'll probably talk about that tomorrow. We just had so much stuff to go over today. But anyway, guys, let's take the remainder of our time now and start taking your live comments and questions. If you got a live comment or question like right on the show, simply go into the description of this video. You'll see a link, a tip link there. Simply click on that, or you can enter it in manually at streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on this show or, or a companion video coming up, whichever, as long as the comment or question is reasonable for the show. And of course, by doing so, you're also supporting the channel. And all of us involved with the John Campus Show, thank you guys very, very much for that support. All right. Let's get into it now. We're going to start things off here with James Argenta, who writes, one of two. Uh, FYI, the show House of Dragon is based on the first volume of the history of House Targaryen, wrote by George R.R. R. Martin called Fire and Blood, released in 2018. The first, blood, bu the first book was divided into eras of Targaryen reign, including the Targaryen Civil Wars, also known as the Dance of Dragons. Uh, if they wanted... Uh, if they wanted to, HBO could adapt the book into more series such as uh, the Aegon Targaryen Conquest of Blackfire Rebellions, uh, which uh, which will happen in the second volume when and if that is ever released. Well, Rob, I mean, look, we heard in the show, in Game of Thrones, there was references to the Targaryen Civil War and that whole era and the, yep. the Dance of Dragons, which is the call, which a lot of this is based on. But there's also other material they can go to. At the same time, you know, you want to be original. You want to try to adapt and learn things that you can and go from there. But anyway, I'm very excited for this show. We've talked about it before. My excitement level is really good. Seeing those pictures of Matt Smith in his Tigarian outfit yeah. was really cool. What did you think of those pictures, by the way? And where's your excitement level for the show right now? Well, look, you know, it's funny on this Game of Thrones rewatch. I mean, you and I differ on the final season, obviously. But, you know, up to season four, it's some of the greatest television ever made. And I, I'm hoping that the whole history of the Targaryens that's constantly referred to in the original Game of Thrones series and what happened and the whole Dance of Dragons, which was the Targaryen Civil War, the idea of it is great. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited from that perspective and I, I'm hoping that it's, it's wonderful. I'm a little wary for me because especially as you go through Game of Thrones again and you realize how great the show is, it does, I mean, it did go on to sort of a downward, let's not call it a spiral, but the quality was not as good once they ran out of, of George R. R. Martin's material. See, I disagree. I disagree. I actually thought the final, the, the, the second half of the show was actually better than the first half of the show. But a lot of people like you and I are divided over that. Right. But I look, I do think that the, the problem that I had was, was the lack of stuff to adapt. Right. But I, I, I do, I'm very excited about this show because of the premise of it and the whole idea of the Targaryen civil war makes me, I'm like, I can't wait. I just hope that look, they have a tough act to follow. One of the greatest TV shows ever made by any stretch. 
and they've got to follow that up with a prequel. I think they've got the material that can make it great. But again, it's all about the writing and the execution. All right, let's move on here. Next up, we've got uh, Joanna from Canada writes, Hello, John. Number one, has Anne finally seen the original Alien movies? No, she and I still have to set aside night so she can sit down and finally watch the first two Alien movies. Number two, tell me more about this peanut butter, butter, and mayo sandwich. Okay, so I brought this up the, the other day. Simple thing, you know, I was like kind of like a latchkey kid in some ways, Not, but at lunchtime I would come home, and as my mother would say, you are big and ugly enough to do it on your own. My mother still says that to this day. Whenever me, my dad, any of my siblings ask my mom about something, they, the usual first answer is you're big and ugly enough to figure it out on your own or to do it on your own. So I, I would come home quite often from like grade school da, 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 and I you know sit down to watch Flintstones, but I have to make myself lunch. And looking around one day, it's like, well, there's, there's some butter. I like butter. We got some white bread. Great. Got some peanut butter. I like that. You know what? I like mayo. I put mayo on my hot dogs. All right. And I made a peanut butter, butter, and mayo sandwich. And I ate that son of a bitch for like five years. Like for five years, that was like my go-to sandwich was peanut butter, butter, and mayo. I, I admit I have not had a peanut butter, butter, and mayo sandwich in many, many moons. Many, many moons. Thank but God for that. I'm going to have to try it again just to see, why did I like that? I don't know. I can't imagine it, but I'm going to have to try it again at some time. Thanks for writing I, that I to can't Joanna. either. <laughs> All right, Tam, don't judge me. Uh, by the way, Dragon 10 sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Dragon 10. All right, next up, Tammy M writes, uh, John, thank you for your thoughtful discussion. Uh, many people had unrealistic high expectations for Captain America and the Winter Soldier and couldn't sit with some of the character moments, it seems. The boat montage is anything but boring and is so rich for building the story. Rob, I, I can't remember if you've been on here uh, when we've talked about this, but you know, I've seen some people give some flack to like the whole boat-fixing montage in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. To me, it was the single most important sequence as far as building the dynamic chemistry and camaraderie between Sam and Bucky. Nothing else in the show, to me, made me as the audience member feel like I could feel their bond actually growing and developing and feeling the chemistry and seeing the chemistry between the characters. Not yeah. when they fought on top of those trucks, not when they fought... You know, John Walker in the, it was that scene, that boat fixing scene that did a lot for me narratively. And I know a lot of people go into Marvel things and they just want to see the big explosions and the big monsters and the big reveals, but doing the good narrative work, that boat scene to me was one of my favorite sequences. I don't know. What did you think about it? I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I, I think that I really, look, I loved all the scenes where you got a sense of what is it like to be a civilian? What is your civilian life when you're an Avenger? family life, being on a boat, painting, fixing it up. I mean, all those scenes, even that, like I said, the montage at the end of the series, when, when the family's there on the waterfront, I love, I, I loved all that because it's something they don't have the time for when you're watching these Marvel movies, but in the series, in the, in the streaming shows, you get a sense of that. And to me, it makes the characters much more real and immediate and human. And, and, uh, it, it just adds to the whole tapestry of the MCU. Well said. All right. Thanks a lot for that. Sending that in, Tammy. Next up, we got Murray Reich who writes, have you seen the how it should have ended on WandaVision? I did. Uh, it was spot on, especially with all the popular fan theories they threw in. First of all, can I just say that how it should have ended 
has been an online treasure for many years. I mean, the, the How It Should Have Ended have been around for a long time, and they continue to be amazing. Have you seen this one yet, Rob, the How It Should Have Ended with Wonder Woman? I mean, with uh, WandaVision? You know what? I lost you there. It's uh, uh, the, There's a little sound glitch. Okay, well, anyway. So I uh, didn't hear Yeah, so um, How It Should Have Ended. On uh, on right. YouTube, you, they, you know they're just asking about the uh, Wandavision one. Oh, this right, is right. this has been a treasure for the long longest time. Did you see the latest one they did on Wandavision? I have not watched oh. it, but I love I love these things. They're so, so good. They this one was too great too because they had like Wanda sitting there like in a friends kind of set with all these other characters, including obviously Batman and Superman, and of course Wonder Woman comes walking in. You have to undo your wish and all this uh. kind of stuff. I'm like this is so perfect. If you guys haven't seen it, take Murray's advice and go check out the how it should have ended on Wandavision. <laughs> it's on YouTube. It's really great. All right, Murray also writes. Finally saw The Father. Oh, so good. Uh, finally saw The Father. It was very emotional, but enthralling film. Hopkins' phenomenal performance reminded me of a uh, grandfather who passed away many years ago. I'm glad my mom didn't see this. One, because it would remind her of the, all the pain. Very emotional indeed. Yeah, and you know what's, Murray? It, it's, it's interesting because I've been getting a lot of messages from people saying, oh my God, I saw The Father. And it, it, it was very, very much spoke to their experience. And that is part of the reason why I say I think Anthony Hopkins's performance in this may be the best performance he's ever given in anything. And by yeah. the way, I don't think he got enough credit for his performance in The Two Popes. He was so damn good in The Two Popes. Like that, it was, but in The yep. Father, that may have been. And the fact, Murray, that so many people have written in saying this really did speak to the experience my family had. I think a lot of that is a testimony to Anthony's uh, performance. All right, next up, Double B Studios writes, Hey, John, my thoughts. All Bucky and Sam had to do in episode two was give the new Cap a chance and work together. That would have been silly. That would have been really ridiculous. Anyway, old Disney uh, would have done that, but new Disney squeezed all the juice out of the lemon and gave us more relatable story than fictional. I, I got to disagree. Now, listen, yeah, I understand, Rob, when we're watching Falcon Winter Soldier... You felt a little bad for John Walker. You know, he showed up to help Sam and Bucky. And then he says, hey, guys, you know, he's all excited about being the new Captain America. Let's work together. And he's basically given by Sam and Bucky. Yeah. It was like, thanks, no thanks. But, Rob, that's exactly how that would have played out. Cap was their best friend. All of a sudden, and, and Sam, in good faith, gave the shield over to the museum. And all of a sudden, they appoint a new Captain America it's like, I'm sorry, you're not Steve. And all of a sudden, he's doing all this kind of stuff. And then Sam articulated it really well after Bucky got let out of prison. You know, Sam said to him, look, you guys are the government. Talking to Battlestar and John Walker. You guys have to operate and work within a certain set of rules and certain restraints. We, me and Bucky, don't. It wouldn't make sense for us to work together. So you have the very raw emotional reasons like, screw you, you're not Captain America, and we don't know you, by the way. We don't even effing know you. You think right. we're going to go into a life or death battle side by side with you? We don't even know who you are, Junior. You know. So there's that, but then there's the logical side of, listen, it just wouldn't make sense for us to work with you on this because you have to operate by a certain set of rules and we don't. So I actually thought, think it would have, while I felt bad for John Walker in that moment, it also would have made no sense, I don't think, for Sam and Bucky to go, yeah, what'd you say your name was, John? Okay, yeah, let's work together. 
I, I don't think it would have made sense. I don't know. How do you feel about that? I, I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, also, you know, it, the government didn't consult like Sam in good faith turns the shield over to the Smithsonian for their Captain America exhibit, you know, and and unbeknownst to him, the government just makes a new Captain America, doesn't consult the Avengers, doesn't ask, takes his gift to the Smithsonian, turns it into a weapon of war, whatever you want to call it, uh, a symbol. And it was it was it wasn't cool, you know, but again, what would you expect from the government? And the thing about John Walker and Battlestar, they were decorated soldiers. They were heroes. No matter what you want to call it, they were heroes. They had earned like John Walker and three medals of honor. What soldiers ever done that in American history? Not many, if at all. So it's like if anyone is going to assume the mantle of Captain America, he certainly was somebody who could. But I think the government, you know, in a way they took advantage of Sam. Yeah. And they took advantage of the Captain America legacy. They took advantage of the the Avengers. But you know what? It ain't show friends. It's show business after all. And the United <laughs> States government doesn't have to be like, oh, could we uh, take uh, the mantle of Captain America? Captain America, for all intents and purposes, is gone. And so there, that was, to me, a very um, – uh, that was an earned rift in terms of having static between two groups of people. And, of course, Battlestar and John Walker on one end were heroes from the government's point of view they're like why wouldn't we give him the captain america shield he's one of our most decorated soldiers these two guys are are the best of the best but according to sam and bucky who have a personal very emotional personal connection to cap they're like the two people in the world who would object so i thought it was a very natural awesome uh way to create character conflict that that was that would that came out of story and yet everybody everybody was trying to do the right thing which made it even better and I, I loved all of that, John. I loved it. I agree. I totally agree. All right, next up, we got Scott Brown who writes, you talk about how you're not a fan of derivative characters, but maybe you're looking at it wrong. No, I'm not looking at it wrong. I am looking at it how I look at it. Uh, I look at them as individual characters, Barbara, Jason, Kara, Miles, to spite the to spite the persona they've chosen to adopt being derivative. Uh, just a thought. Love the show. Now, look, again, this is people... People wonder why when I'm explaining something, I often choose to employ the technique of re repeating things and, and being repetitive because so many people take what I say and they twist it into something I wasn't saying at all. I don't hate derivative characters. Like I don't go by default. I don't like a care if it's derivative. I've always been very clear about how I tend to lean away from derivative characters. By derivative, I mean that is just another copy of. So instead of making a new uh, a character with with speedster powers and calling him something whatever they call him you got Flash now we got Kid Flash you got Superman let's call another Kryptonian Supergirl you have Batman let's call this person Batwoman I I just I'm not a fan of that that's not to say that I can't be won over and really appreciate it. Like I like the kid flash that they had on the flash TV series. I'm very much looking forward to she Hulk, although I've kind of traditionally leaned away from she Hulk because it's again, it's derivative. You got Hulk, right. you got she Hulk. They didn't call abomination other Hulk. They got Hulk <laughs> and we got bad Hulk. No, they it's gave it a different identity Hulk. abomination. I don't know. So, yeah, it's not that I don't give these other characters a chance or whatever. I'm just saying that the basic principle 
of just taking the very lazy way out of the naming conventions of these characters. I just don't like the practice, and so I tend to kind of lean away from that. Again, it's not saying that I don't give them a chance and that I can't ultimately like them. It's just that I don't like that that way of doing things. That's just me. That's just me. All right, next up. Uh, we've got Willow, who writes, Have you seen the limited series Feud? In it, uh, Joan Crawford, yes, I have seen This is really good, by the way. Uh, Joan Crawford was shown uh, sabotaging uh, Bette Davis's Oscar chances um, by secretly turning voters against her. Can such a campaign realistically succeed nowadays, given the number of voting members of the Academy? And first of all, Jessica Lange, Susan Sarandon, um, um, uh, from from uh, Thumb and Louise, Gina Davis, Gina Davis. Um, it, it it's it's incredible. Alfred Molina, uh, Doc Ock was in that. Very good. And the answer to that question is no. It can't happen today. That is one of the brilliant. Rob, we talk about this a lot. One of the brilliant things about the way the Academy is set up is unlike the Hollywood Foreign Press. <sighs> Uh, that does the Golden Globes, where there's like 70 members. And if you take 20 members, just just 20 people, and you take them on a trip to Europe and put them in the finest resort for two weeks and blah, 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 to promote your movie, you've almost now just kind of influenced a third of the voting body. The Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts, and Sciences has a voting membership of over 7,000. And it is that sheer size and number that insulates it from a lot of bullshit that was kind of portrayed in uh, in that particular miniseries. And that's one of the brilliant things about it. Like, it doesn't matter if you get the odd idiot who goes, like a voting member of the Academy goes, yeah, I didn't actually watch any of the movies this year. Well, okay, that's fine. That idiot represents 0.00001% of the voting body. So they're inoculated from that. It's one of the cool things. First of all, Rob, did you ever see that miniseries, number one? And and what what other advantages do you see of the voting body being so large in the Academy? Well, I did see the miniseries. I, of course, I loved it. I, I It was great. But, you, you know, they've been trying to influence. I mean, Miramax <laughs> there was buying influence for the voting Academy. I mean, it's now, a lot of it is is a horse race. But I do think it might be possible to sway voters one way or another. I I think, however, it's not like it was back then because movie stars, I don't think have the same kind of wattage or power star power that they had back in the day. I mean, those characters were almost all the actors and actresses in Hollywood were almost like the gods of Olympus. You know, they were, they were, they walked into a room and they, they took all the air out of it. And so uh, I don't think that that is possible today, but the difference is now money and ad campaigns and sending people gift boxes and screeners and T-shirts and whatever. There's ways to influence the Academy, not on a personal level, but on a barrage of 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 just uh, ads or influence or whatever you want to call it. It's just different. And I think that that's happened for since the Oscars have been a thing, but it's, I don't think one person can influence, uh, unless you want to say that Harvey Weinstein, the way Miramax went about it was in itself influential, but not like Joan Crawford, not today. All right. We got time for one more with Rob still here. We're going to take this one from, uh, Grogu. Good job. Good Jew brights. Hey, John, 
A long time, first time. Good to have you here, man. Finally saw the Oscar-winning documentary My Octopus Teacher on Netflix about a man's amazing yep. friendship with an octopus. Not quite Shape of Water, but it does get you in the feels. <laughs> uh, not sure if it deserved the win, but surely worth a look. You know, I haven't seen this one. I have not seen this one. It's funny, Rob, because you know you know my friend Soul. Uh, Soul was over here the other night watching the UFC, the most incredible UFC 261. But anyway, he, uh, he was over here and we were chatting and he was like, by the way, Campia, if you haven't seen um, this, uh, uh, if you haven't seen, uh, what is it? My octopus teacher, you got to watch it. I don't know what I just watched, <laughs> but you got to watch it and tell me what you think. And I haven't had a chance to go see it yet. So I, I haven't watched it. Have you had a chance to watch it? What did you think? Yeah, dude, it's amazing. You know, it, it's one of these things where you can't really believe what you're watching. First of all, from a, from a filmmaking perspective, it's like, how, how did they shoot this? You know, but then the story that's developing between, uh, you know, one of, I've always believed that one of the great crimes that man has, has perpetrated against our planet is the fact that we haven't given the creatures that we share the planet with enough credit just because we can't speak to them or don't understand. We so often uh, watch James Cameron's upcoming documentary about whales. But I think that it's an amazing documentary about man and nature and the fact that there's a lot more going on in our world than we might suspect. And um, if anything, it made me, I will never, ever, ever, uh, I love calamari. <laughs> but I don't think I can. I don't think I can ever eat it again. I know calamari is a squid, not an octopus, but still, um, it it will change your perspective on on the planet we live in, and certainly the ocean. All right, Rob. I know that's all the time uh, you've got today. Thanks a lot for being here. In the meantime, where can people follow you and all your good stuff online? Well, you can follow me on Twitter at Burnett RM. Follow me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett or find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work and my show, Observations. All right, dude. Thanks a lot for being here, man. I'll talk to you again soon. Have a good one. All right, sir. You too. Good show. Ladies and gentlemen, the great Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. Uh, make sure you come on back and uh, check him out again. Listen, we still got some time left here, guys. So let's keep on going through your comments and questions, shall we? We're going to pick things up here. With Homelander's doppelganger, or, or no, sorry, Grogu also wrote, uh, it was back to Grogu, who wrote in another one who writes, if you didn't like My Hero Academia, yeah, I wanted to like My Hero Academia, I just could not put up uh, with, uh, I couldn't put up with the damn lead character, it was just too annoying, the main character. Anyway, if you didn't like My Hero Academia, you probably wouldn't like Demon Slayer. The movie is just a continuation of the series anyway, and mostly of interest to its fans. Still very impressed with its box office performance. Happy to see niche anime break through. Yeah, and again, uh, by the way, Iconic Reaction sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Iconic. Um, yeah, I was mentioning, I was getting ready to buy tickets, I literally had the ticket portal open on the AMC website to get tickets for me and Anne to go see Demon Slayer. And then Anne pointed out, oh, look, there's a trailer right there on the AMC page. And we're like, okay, cool, let's watch it. And then I watched the trailer and I closed the window. I'm like, nope, not interested in this whatsoever. But uh, yeah, thank you for writing that in, Grogu, because I have had a number of people writing me say, hey, John, don't worry about it. If you haven't watched the show, the movie's not going to make a lot of sense to you. So it's honestly just as well that you didn't go see it. So that made me feel a little bit better, but super thrilled for people who are fans of that property, uh, that his, it has been doing so well. So that's really exciting for people who are fans of the property. And I, I'm glad I was able to, uh, dodge it since I haven't watched the, uh, since I haven't watched the original show. All right, next up. 
We go to Homelander's Doppelganger who writes, I uh, just watched the first episode of Invincible. Oh my God, holy shit. WTF. The end of that first episode is crazy good. I went in cold knowing nothing. I am glad I did because this show is freaking awesome. I am in shock. I had this same reaction again. A lot of people like coming out of episode one, all people, what I heard people talking about was, oh man, wasn't it like gory? Yeah, it was so gory. Like I didn't give a shit that it was gory. I was like, what the hell is with that story twist? Like I'm watching this and like Omni-Man shows up and does what he does. And I'm like, why? Like I was, I was hooked on it because of the story. Now, of course, all the gory stuff was also very cool too. Don't get me wrong, but I was hooked in because of that story. And that's part of the reason why I got hooked on that show. I'm very excited about watching the season finale and so stoked, as we talked about a little bit earlier today, that they have renewed it for seasons two and three. So I'm glad you got on board with that one as well, Homelanders, uh, because it's really, you guys haven't started watching Invincible. Go on Amazon Prime and start watching Invincible. It's a lot of fun. Okay. Uh, Next up, we've got... um, Where are we? Edgar Navarro writes, come on now, John, that's not shaky camera that was being used in Mortal Kombat. It's the director was just nervous for his first time. In all seriousness, though, I love the film. It definitely has its problems, but my face uh, hurt from from smiling. Sequel, please. Yeah, I I wish I liked it as much as, as a lot of my friends do, although I got a number of people I know who absolutely hated Mortal Kombat. I I'm like, I was super excited about it. I had fun. Don't get me wrong. I had fun. At the end of the day, I had fun. And I'm going to see it again. I think it's actually maybe even tonight, Anna and I are going to go see it again. But I was just also disappointed. So while I had fun and had a good time, I was also disappointed at at how truly bad all the other elements of the movie were. Terrible story. Awful dialogue. Except Kano. (laughs) Kano is pretty good. But like cringy, awful dialogue that I almost had to hide my face and bury my face in my popcorn bag because I just almost couldn't take it. Ridiculous scenarios. They never even had a tournament. I mean, it's just it was just so badly made with some of the fun stuff done pretty well that I had a good time. You know, watching Goro and seeing all the uh, Sub-Zero stuff was really, really great. Seeing Joe Taslam doing all of his stuff was a lot of fun. I mean, all the things I knew I was going to have fun with, I had fun with. It was just disappointing that there seems to be this idea in Hollywood that as long as you put in the fun stuff, you don't have to worry about making a good movie. Why not do both? Like, why not make a great movie with compelling characters and good story and good mythology and great dialogue and do all the great fun stuff? Like, why does it have to be one or the other? Anyway, I'm glad you had a good time, Edgar. I'm, I'm glad you did. I, I, I And again, I had fun. I just wish I was able to enjoy it more, but I just thought it was a very, very terribly made movie, unfortunately. All right, next up. Uh, Mick Lovin writes, you kind of went on a rant about how Sam... Uh, Sam is just another Iron Man suit. No, no, I just said it's very similar. You know, he's got the AI, he's got the heads-up display, he's got all the stuff, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, just another Iron Man suit that does everything for him. Well, no, duh. That's exactly who Sam is. Without the gear, he's just some ex-Air Force, good-for-nothing nobody. Uh, he isn't cool enough. He needs all the gear he can get. I completely disagree with that a- assertion. Number one, I think all of Sam's best moments in Falcon and Winter Soldier were without the gear. 
I mean, I, I think it was his best moments were without the gear. Not that, and I thought the costume was great. Don't get me wrong. I, I thought the costume was great. But also, I, I'm tired of this whole excuse. Well, they need that. Really? Because Black Widow doesn't have an Iron Man suit. Hawkeye doesn't have an Iron Man suit. Again, and I'm not taking that away from Falcon. I like, like, Falcon's big thing is that he uses this device that the military made, and that's kind of his motif. So I got no problem with it. Again, I just don't, I, I just get turned off a little bit. As much as I love Sam and I love the costume, I thought the costume was great, but I do get turned off a little bit. It's like, why are we slowly starting to make it that every single one of the MCU characters has to have, has to go through this Iron Manification? Like they all have to have a built-in AI that talks to them and they all have to have heads up displays that gives them all sorts of weird information and shows them footprints on the ground in the smoke. And they all have to, I mean, I wouldn't mind then seeing lean into the things that make them unique as far, instead of just leaning into things to make them more of the same. Anyway, but that's just kind of my take on it. But I think Sam is an awesome character. I think he's a great character. All right, next up, Dakota writes, Hey John, uh, I guess I can lose the headphones now. Uh, Hey, John, uh, they write. Now, don't bash me. All right, here we go. What are we going to say? Uh, but one of my favorite films as a kid growing up was The Adventures of Pluto Nash. Hey, listen, man. I obviously think it's a pile of garbage movie. But the beautiful thing about films is that it's all subjective. And if you loved it, then you loved it. And that's awesome. I'm glad you liked it, even if I hated it. All right, The Adventures of Pluto Nash with uh, Eddie Murphy. My question was, and Randy Quaid, wasn't Randy Quaid who was in that with him? Anyway. My question was, why was it such a massive box office bomb? Uh, was it word of mouth getting critically panned? Did it have terrible marketing? Oh, it was all the above. It was all the above. Word got out. First of all, it looked terrible. So there's a marketing thing. So the movie looked absolutely terrible. And then the movie was, to certain to some people, to, to a bunch of people, the movie was absolutely terrible. And word of that got out really fast. So you put those two magical elements together and you don't have a real big winning combination. But again, if you liked it, that's the thing about art, man. It, it hits us all in different ways. So there can be a movie that I totally love that you hated, but, but that's just because the movie spoke to me in a certain way because of my individuality and my background and where I am in life and all that kind of stuff. It spoke to me a certain way, but it spoke to you in a different way. I'm not right and you're not wrong. It's just that it speaks to us in different ways. That's what art does. And if you love Pluto Nash, brother, then you love Pluto Nash. All right, next up. A man nicknamed Pooh Bear writes, uh, one of two. Hello, Gio and Rob, if he's still there, just missed him. Hashtag Team Godzilla. No way, man. Hashtag the King, King Kong. Anyway, with Bridesmaids turning 10, oh, I can't believe Bridesmaids is 10 years old. That's a great movie, by the way, Bridesmaids. Anyway, uh, turning 10 years old today, I started thinking about my top five movie-going experiences. They are, uh, one, There's Something About Mary. Two, Saving Private Ryan. Uh, three, Avengers Infinity War. Uh, four, Bridesmaids. And five, Return of the Jedi. What are your, some of your favorite movie-going experiences? Well, I mean, remember, favorite movie-going experience is not necessarily the same as saying in my overall favorite movies. But um, some of my favorite overall movie-going experiences, uh, one was going to the premiere of Star Wars uh, The Force Awakens. And... It was because it was held at the Man's Chinese Theater. Well, it's no longer called the Man's Chinese Theater, but it's the, at the Chinese Theater in Hollywood, right on Hollywood Boulevard. 
going to that premiere at that location where I, as a child, would see these pictures of these huge throngs of people at the at where the original the movie theater that the original Star Wars movie played where the first Star Wars movie played and I remember growing up as a child seeing pictures of of that event at this Chinese theater as a kid growing up in Canada you know Los Angeles was a fairy tale I still pinch myself a little bit that I live here now but that to then go with my partner with Anne to get to go to the Chinese theater and sit there in this theater knowing I'm in the same spot where another audience, however many decades ago, sat and watched the first Star Wars movie. I was now there watching it. It was surreal. It was absolutely surreal. Uh, Another one was uh, actually at a press junket, uh, press screening of the first Avengers movie. I just, I remember being in that packed theater and like all of these jaded, bitter film critics sitting there to, all right, show us this comic book movie. And every, you would think we were at a Comic-Con. Like I was in a packed theater filled with jaded, bitter, angry film critics. And you would think we were at a Comic-Con because by the time that first Avengers movie ended, that whole place was hooping and hollering and cheering and standing. And it just, it was a crazy environment. And as we walked out of the theater, like I was like shaking, like I couldn't believe the movie we just saw. It was such a good time. Uh, And yeah, those are a couple of them. And then one of course is, uh, you know, going with my friend who's passed away. uh, I had some friends from Canada write to me and remind me that uh, this week is the five-year anniversary. Hard to believe that. But um, anyway, of my friend who passed away and uh, going to see Batman, the Tim Burton Batman movie. Uh, that That's obviously a very special experience to me too. So yeah, again, there's a difference between favorite movie going experience and favorite movies overall, but those are a couple of my absolute favorite experiences. All right, thanks for writing that in, man. All right, next up. We got BK Dana writes, John, don't know anyone's uh, put this movie on your radar. Terry Pratchett's The Hogfather. Oh, that is from like the, that's from the early, the, the first half of the 2000s. Anyway, on Prime, uh, be prepared. It's some three hours long. I've heard of this. I have not heard good things about it, uh, but I have heard of this. It's like from 2005 to 2000, somewhere between 2005, 2010, it came out, I believe. Um, oh, Ad, Adnan is writing in the live chat that it came out in 2007. Yeah. So I knew it came out in that window somewhere. I have not heard good things about it. So I don't, I don't think I'll be, I'll be checking that out anyway. Uh, BK Daniels writes, Hey John, just wanted to say, I like the new start time of noon Pacific time. It works because it's 3 PM Eastern. Yeah. You guys, of course know we moved the start time of the show from 10 AM Los Angeles time to noon Los Angeles time. It just makes my life a little bit easier. I know it's it's an adjustment for a lot of people, but it just made my life a little bit easier. And by the way, we're not in concrete that we're going to keep it at noon Los Angeles time. We might move it back to 10 a.m., but we're going to give it a month or so and see how this goes. But I'm not going to lie to you. It does make my life a lot. Even prepping for the show, it just makes my life easier. But anyway, uh, there's that. All right, next up. Thanks, BK, for your thoughts. Sharon the Canadian writes, 
John, rev up your engines and grab the family because 10 years ago this week, we got Dylan Dog Dead of Night. Who wasn't that um, Brandon Ralph? Wasn't that Brand? Let me just double check that. I think that was Brandon Ralph who was in Dylan Dog. Hold on a second. Uh, Dylan Dog IMDb. I was pretty sure that was. Yeah, that came out. Well, actually, it says it came out in 2010. So it might be only, but yeah, that was Brandon Rouse. Yeah, Tay Diggs was in that as well. Uh, bad, bad movie, unfortunate, but I love Brandon Rouse. Anyway, uh, we got Dylan Dog, Dead of Night, uh, Hoodwinked, uh, Hoodwinked 2, uh, Prom, and Fast Five. After watching Fast Five, did you think that the Fast Saga would be the blockbuster uh, it is today? Thank you and have a great day. Yeah, was that 10 years ago? Hall second. That was 2011. Sorry, I just clicked on the one. Wrong one. Hold a second. That was 2011 that that came out. Fast Five came out in 2011. And it was the first one, if I'm not mistaken, that had uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson as Hobbs as a main character. That's really the one that turned Fast and the Furious into a blockbuster franchise. Because you got an injection of movie Viagra, which is Dwayne. He, Dwayne Johnson is franchise Viagra. Drop him in your franchise, boom, watch the box office take off. But yes, Fast Five, which Robert calls the Citizen Kane of the Fast series. Fast Five, number one, made it clear that it was now a big blockbuster hit because the box office of it. But it was kind of the indicator that this is now a blockbuster franchise. It wasn't really some huge blockbuster franchise before that. It, it was a, it was a franchise. It had its successes. I was not a big fan of of Fast and Furious one, two, or three. I was starting to get on board with it with four, and then five blew us away. But uh, yeah, it's it is crazy when you look at the progress of that entire franchise. All right, next up, uh, Max writes. You don't have to be a good guy to lift Mjolnir via comics canon. Okay, I'm going to stop you right there, Max. The comics are not the MCU. You got to understand this. Still a lot of people don't understand this. The MCU is not the comics. The comics are not the MCU. They are two very different things. All right. And they operate by their own individual sets of rules. The MCU is obviously inspired by and influenced by the comics, but they are two different things. It doesn't matter that they did this or this in the comics. It's irrelevant. It's how do they do it and how do they portray it in the movies. Anyway, uh, Hydra Cap was worthy, not because he was good. He wasn't, but it's because he was a, because he was super strong, self-confident, determined uh, in his resolve. A morally gray character lifting the hammer is right for the MCU Nah, it's a totally different thing. They, they've kind of orchestrated it very differently in the MCU. It doesn't matter what they did in the comics. So, I, like, for instance, um, the Hydra Captain America. By the way, one of the greatest scenes in comic book history, I'd say a top 10 greatest comic book scene in Hollywood history, is when Hydra Captain America is already in prison. And then real Captain America comes, and there's, like, this whole story where it's just the two of them talking in his prison cell. And it's basically, they're going back and forth with their ideologies. And it's not an action-packed scene by, by any stretch, but it's really, really great storytelling. It's very, very compelling. But if that cap was in the MCU, no, he would not be able to lift Mjolnir because it's a different thing. Anyway, but thanks for making me think about that, that, that story again where the two Captain Americas are actually talking to each other. Anyway, uh, next up, KW Garrett, Garrett 83 writes, 
Uh, congrats. You won an Academy Award for Best Picture for a movie you produced with Rob directing, uh, with Rob directing and Aaron as the lead actress. Let's say you forget to thank either Rob, Aaron, or your wife, Anne, in your speech. Which omission gets you in, in a more life-threatening uh, trouble? Well, that's, that's obvious, Anne. <laughs> the 105 pounds of Filipina fury, that's the one that would get me in the most trouble. No doubt, no questions. Uh, like Rob would get upset, but he'd understand heat of the moment. Aaron would be upset for a moment, but she would understand it was the heat of the moment. Anne, no, no. There's I, and not just Anne. Any spouse, you don't live that. That shit would be forever. That shit would be absolutely forever, and you would never get away with that. All right. Next up, uh, Obster writes. After WandaVision, I decided to watch some Elizabeth Olsen projects and found a web series on Facebook Watch. Oh, I remember this one called Sorry for Your Loss. Thought it was incredible, but bummed at it was as uh, as was the third season was canceled would recommend. You know what? I never did watch it, although one of the other notable things about Sorry for Your Loss was that not only did it star Elizabeth Olsen, which was kind of a coup for Facebook doing original series on Facebook, but it was also a starring vehicle for Kelly Marie Tran from the uh, Star Wars movies. Uh, that's where she she was like she wasn't the lead character, but she was a major character in that. It was Kelly Marie Tran. Now I never did watch it. Now, I understand it's about a woman dealing with you know her husband has passed away, and then her dealing with the grief of that, but also finding out new things about her husband. I understood the premise of it, but you know what? This is a this is an unfortunate bias, but I wasn't interested simply because it was a Facebook thing. I know that's not fair. That's not fair of me. But I honestly just didn't give it a chance because it was a Facebook original. That's not fair. I totally admit it. It's not fair, but it was what it was. And when I saw there was a Facebook original, I was like, I instantly tuned it out. Even though it sounded pretty good, and I love, love Elizabeth Olsen, and I've heard good things about it, Officer. So thank you for bringing that up. Maybe some other people want to go check it out now. All right, next up. Uh, we got just a couple minutes left here, guys. Willow writes, uh, is Godzilla vs. Kong profitable at currently just over $400 million at the box office, or do the current extenuating circumstances give the studios confidence that the next film in the franchise will turn a profit even if this one doesn't? You know what? I think this one has already rounded the corner into profitability. If I'm not mistaken, the price tag on Godzilla versus Kong was 180 million. It's made over 400 million already. Even when you subtract the one third for box office, now you're subtracting about 120, 120 million dollars that the theaters get to keep. So now you're talking about it making 280. I don't think they spent $100 million on marketing. I think they probably spent about $50 or $60 million on marketing, which means that Godzilla versus Kong has already made them $40, $50, $60 million in profit. That's pretty good, especially considering the current pandemic. So yeah, we talked about it on yesterday's show, uh, and this question came in after yesterday's show, but yes, uh, they will be doing another one. They may even call it Son of Kong. We'll see. They're already talking to Wingard about maybe coming back and doing it again. We'll see where they go with that. All right. Good question, Willow. Next up, Roll of the Egg writes, Hey, John and Co. I just finished The Irregulars and Shadow and Bone. I, st I was supposed to watch the first episode of Shadow and Bone the other day. Anne and I got busy. I am looking forward to watching that, though. Diverse cast providing great performances. I understand your scroll... 
That's from yesterday's show. Scroll! Uh, apologies. Watching the Nevers already. I'm becoming a fan of fantasy. Love your show. Let the filthy come forth. Listen, I, I got to admit, I've been enjoying the Nevers. I saw the first like trailer for it. And I thought, well, that's interesting, but I didn't, I didn't, you guys remember when we talked about the previews for it, I wasn't like totally taken with it. I have really liked the show so far and uh, I'm really excited about watching uh, shadow and bone. I'm not hearing the best things in the world about it, but I'm hearing some pretty solid things. So, and I like Ben Barnes. So I'm, I am, I'm very much into checking out this movie. So we'll see where that goes. All right. Thanks for that. Okay. Uh, next up, Ryan Loner writes, uh, here's a real sign of how big of a flop in humans was Scott Buck. Yeah. Scott Buck doesn't have a single credit to his name since 2017. This is despite being renowned for always getting his work done on time and under budget. Here's the thing, Scott Buck. He was very good. Let me bring up his, his thing here because all we think about now with Scott Buck is <laughs> iron fist and in humans, the unfortunate thing about that is that he has got some really good things. Do you know before that? Look at some of this stuff. Look at some of the stuff. He had Dexter, man. He was an executive producer on Dexter. He did some work, some producing work on Rome. He was a supervising producer on Six Feet Under. There are people who love that show. And then he did Iron Fist, which was all kinds of bad. And he did Inhumans, which is unspeakably bad. And he hasn't done anything since. Like, look at this thing here. Dexter, Rome, Six Feet Under. I mean, this is a guy who was probably going to be able to take his pick of things and pick of projects and things he'd like to do. He gets brought on by Marvel to do Iron Fist. Awful. He gets involved as a producer on Inhumans. Awful. And he hasn't done a thing since. He hasn't been hired to do anything since. That's unfortunate. But, I mean, that is the fickleness of this industry, man. You put out a couple of big stinkers, especially as a producer. I mean, if you're an actor... You don't take all the blame if a show is bad, unless you, you know, were a bad actor in it. But it's not really up to the actor if the show is actually successful or not. You've got a part to play. But when you're like one of the producers, it's, man, you can be doing great stuff. You put out like two things in a row that are bad. It could end a career. It could end a career. You know, Abundance just put it really well. Abundance just put it in the live chat, said Ike Perlmutter killed his career. Pretty much. Pretty much. I Listen, obviously this guy has shown in his career, Scott has shown in his career that he is, he's good. He knows what he's doing. And yes, he had a couple of bad days at the office. So is everybody. I hope he gets another chance to do something and gets back to, you know, producing the type of content that we saw from him before Iron Fist. I, heard, I certainly hope that, because right now, whenever you think of this guy's name, all you think about when you hear the name Scott Buck, all you think about is Inhumans and all you think about is... Iron Fist. And that's unfortunate because he's done some very good work. So I hope he gets a chance to redeem that uh, moving forward. Okay, guys. 
we still got questions to go from Hot Rod Todd and Verisimilitude's, uh, Verisimilitude's Lost Son. Do not worry. We will start off tomorrow's show with those questions, and we'll get all rolled in. But for now, guys, that'll do it for today's installment of the John Campia Show. Thank you guys so much for being here and making this show a part of your day. Thanks to Robert Meyer Burnett for bringing his glory and goodness. And a special thank you to all of you guys who sent in those live comments and questions. Number one, you just gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it. And all of us involved here at the John Campia Show, thank you guys very much for that support. And listen, by the way, guys, if you enjoy this kind of content, not if you agree with all my opinions, because we're not supposed to agree about everything, but if you enjoy this kind of content, do me a favor, subscribe to the YouTube channel and click that thumbs up button. Leave a comment, good or bad, whatever. It all helps the algorithm on the show anyway. And thank you guys for being here and making this show part of your day. Okay, guys, remember, do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me for now, guys. Thanks a lot for being here. My name's John Campion. And until tomorrow, my friends, bye-bye.